have got an incredible speaker. He's a friend of ours. He's actually been coming since the 90s. I've just known him the last 14 years. He's got an incredible message for us today. His wife, Carlene, they live in Springfield, Missouri. They have four children. I tell you what, Pastor Randy, we are excited about what God's going to share through you today for us. Let's give it up for Pastor Randy Ruiz. What's up? Hey, turn to the person next to you. I do this everywhere I go. And smile at them and say, you are the best looking thing I've seen all day. Just tell them. Say, you're hot, you smell like rice and beans. No, I'm just kidding. I, I do that because hopefully you're sitting next to your wife or your husband. And if you're not and you're single, hopefully you're sitting next to someone you wish was your wife or your husband. And if you're not, we have a service tonight at 6 o'clock. I'll do it again. And scope it out and sit in a good spot. <laughs> just trying to help you out. Because some of you need more help than, well, I'll just leave it alone. Hey, get your Bible out and turn it on. And um, <clears throat> turn with me to the book of Luke, the third chapter in the 15th through the 16th verse. The book of Luke, chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. I want to show you something so powerful that if you get a hold of this teaching, it'll literally change your life. Not just in this service, but should the Lord tarry in the days and the months and the years to come. I would strongly suggest that you take notes. I want to speak to you on the genuine power or the raw power of expectation a spirit of expectation operating in your life on a daily basis. Look at Luke 3, 15. <clears throat> now, as the people were in expectation, everybody shout expectation. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, the key to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire that we read in verse 16 is first seen in verse 15. Now, the people were in expectation. Now, the people were in expectation. The raw power, the genuine power of expectation operating in your life. Now, the location of this verse is very significant because up to this time, there had been 400 years of silence. The Old Testament ends in the book of Malachi. And this is followed by 400 years of silence where God refuses to speak. There are no prophets. There are no words from the Lord. All of heaven is silent for 400 years. And we move forward 400 years ahead in time, and we pick up the story in the book of Luke where God pulls back the veil. Dr. Luke gives us an insight into the atmosphere or the environment that God is looking for that he might pour out his spirit in Acts, the second chapter. And the atmosphere was described this way, and the people were in expectation. And the people were in expectation. In my study, I couldn't help but ask the Holy Spirit, 
Lord, is the reason you were silent for 400 years, were you waiting for the church to get expectant? Were you waiting for them to get hungry for more of you? Were you allowing situations to come into their culture that was causing a hunger for you? I believe that's exactly what was taking place. And I also believe that's exactly what is taking place now in our nation. That there are things happening in the culture, politically, economically, that God is allowing those things to take place in an end time church so that we can get expectant and hungry for him. The Williams New Testament translation says of the same text, now while the people were on tiptoes in their expectation. I love that. While they were up on their tiptoes in expectation. Friends, I believe it is tiptoe time in the people's church right now. Oh, I believe it. I believe it's tiptoe time in the body of Christ across the nation and around the world. That there's a generation that's rising up and they're saying, we can't wait to see what God is going to do next. We need to come to a deep understanding that if God is going to do something in an end time church, he first looks for people with expectation. Are you expecting God to move? Has the things that are happening around you pushed you to long for more for him? See, we need to expect God to pour out his spirit every time we meet together. We need to expect God and get up on our tiptoes to that he's gonna do the impossible again, that he is going to do with great expectation what the Bible promises he will do. Are you expecting? Friends, when you come to the house of the Lord, you must sing and worship in expectation. Every time you give in the offering, you must give with that expectation. And you say, Lord, I'm giving my tithe and my offering, expecting that this will bring a harvest of lost souls. That I'm giving into the kingdom, that I'm expecting new doors of opportunity for ministry to be opened. I'm expecting the power of God to reign upon us. Lord, because that's what your Bible, the Bible teaches, Lord. You must sow in expectation. You must expect God to pour out his Holy Spirit because the atmosphere where the presence and the fire of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is poured out in, it's an atmosphere where the people are in expectation. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And you must expect God to fulfill his word. Colossians chapter two, verse 14. So it's blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Well, let me explain to you what that means. It simply means that I want to announce to you, there's nothing between you and your miracle. There is nothing between you and your miracle. Whatever was between you and your miracle, Christ removed it at the resurrection because it was nailed to the cross at Calvary. And now you need to be on your tiptoes expecting God to fulfill his promise. Yes, if you believe that, we can clap our hands for that. Yeah. Oh, I want you to get it in your heart. Expect God to move today on your family, in your home, 
on your children, even though they are in rebellion. And you're saying, well, pastor, I don't see my kids changing. I see things in their life that I just cannot endorse. Then you begin to pray, Lord, I'm expecting and believing that you're going to open their eyes because the Bible said, train up a child in the way he shall go. And when he is old, he shall not depart. I'm expecting pain to leave my body, Lord. I'm struggling with a little allergy thing, and, you know, I don't got the agagaca or the COVID, but you start coughing, and people think, oh, you got that thing. No, no, I, I know what it is. It's allergies. And every time I speak, it starts to come. I said, Lord, no, no, no. I'm expecting that as I preach the gospel that, God, you're going to touch my lungs, you're going to touch these allergies, and the power of God is going to move. Some of you came in with pain in your body. You need to say, Lord, as I lift up my hands in worship, as I hear the word of God being preached, I'm expecting pain to leave my body. Why? Because the book of Isaiah says, by his stripes, we are healed. Not we can be healed, we are healed. Listen, I'd be a multi-multi-millionaire if I had a dollar for every time someone told me in the last several months, I can't sleep at night. And I'll say, why? Well, I just keep tossing and turning. Why? Well, because my mind won't shut off. And I'm continually thinking about the choices that my children are making. And they're adults, and they're making these choices, and they're wrong choices. And because of those choices, they're going through heartache and pain. And so fear is now overcoming me, and I can't sleep at night. If I had a dollar for every time my young mother would come to me and she'd say, Pastor, would you please pray? I'd say, sure, but what are we praying about? Well, my children go to public school. We can't afford to send them to private school. And I'm worried about the transgender. I'm worried about the teaching that they're getting with critical race theory. Now, a lot of pastors won't touch this subject, but I will. because I leave on Monday morning on a plane. <laughs> no, I would do it anyway. Critical race theory is the teaching that the white race is responsible for all the ills in this world. And if it wasn't for the white race, then we wouldn't have all these problems. Well, script friends, I believe in a biblical worldview. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not just one race, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the scripture teaches that Jesus came and he gave his life on the cross. For whosoever believes in me shall never perish but have everlasting life. Critical race theory is pointing at one race. The scripture says all races have sinned. And that Jesus came, that each and every one of us, the black race, the brown race, the white race, that every one of us would be saved from our sin and that we'd be brought under the colored blood of Jesus Christ and that we would have an eternity in heaven. Oh, come on, praise him. Yes. And so that teaching of critical race theory separates instead of brings together. And that's how you know, based in socialism, it's trying to separate a culture. Jesus wants to bring everyone together. All have sinned. Not just one, but all. Aren't you glad that even though we have sinned, no matter what our color, no matter what our race, Jesus has extended eternal life, and he said, He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus is the answer to critical race theory. Salvation is the answer for all of us. 
And the transgender movement is nothing more than the result of brokenness in this world. It's those that are transgender respond to brokenness differently than others. There are some that are anorexic. There are some that are bulimic. There are some that are dealing with all types of emotional things. And the reason I'm dealing with it is because I've been stopped by so many of you in the lobby and you're saying, oh man, my granddaughter or my grandson or my child is dealing with this and that. And I didn't go into depth in the other services like I'm doing now because I got a little more time. But people will react to their brokenness in their life in different ways. And the things that we are seeing is a result of sin entering this world. In Genesis, it said God made them male and female. And so there are no binaries. When the world talks about your, your gender, it says, well, what, what is your sex? What it's talking about is your, your body functions or your anatomic functions. When it says, what is your gender? It's talking about how you feel. What do you feel? Well, a biblical worldview teaches that your emotions are good servants, but poor masters. And that we must bring every emotion under the subjection of God's word that never changes. And Satan will create a train of thought that so fits your way of thinking. You suppose it comes to your own line of reasoning and suddenly these thoughts will come and each one of us will respond to the sin nature in us in a different way. Some will respond to it through alcoholism, drug addiction. Others will respond to it by bulimia or anorexia. Some will respond to it by the transgender. But there's only two genders, no matter what they tell you in the culture, male and female. And God made each one of us in his image, in his likeness. And so you pray for those that are struggling because of the brokenness of sin in their life. That's a biblical worldview, and it will not be embraced by the culture, believe me. And the world is teaching, well, follow your emotions or follow the thoughts that come. But they don't teach you that Satan creates a train of thought and he's trying to bring confusion and doubt and worry. He's trying to destroy the very image of God. How does God show unity, agreement, and dominion in heaven? He creates male and female. They come together in holy matrimony. There is now a blood covenant because of the things that take place on the marriage bed. I'm trying to be very tender here and that they bring together the image of God with the Holy Spirit. They show male, female, and the Holy Spirit. That is unity, agreement, and dominion. But Satan, who wants to be on the throne of heaven, he shows individuality. I will rise up, I will sit on the, on the throne of God. And so we are seeing the effect in the culture of a broken world. If you have a family member who's dealing with those, that brokenness, you love that family member, and you say, I love you, but I cannot endorse your choices. Whether those choices are alcohol, drugs, or whether they're transgender, or whatever it is, I love you, but I cannot endorse your lifestyle. See, the world wants us not only to accept it, they want us to endorse it. I cannot endorse it, but I can love you. Why? Because God's, you're still in the image of God. And I'm expecting that God's gonna get a hold of your heart. I'm expecting those things. And if you're sleepless at night and you're tossing and turning because of the things I have talked about, then it's time to begin to expect a spirit of rest to fill your life. A spirit of peace that passes all understanding. 
Why, Pastor? Because Psalms 119 and 26 says, it is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. In other words, when you see people disregarding God and his word, when you see the culture, young people, and they are turning away from the power of the word of God and what the Bible teaches, and they're laughing at us because we say marriage is between a man and a woman. Listen, that's not a political statement. I don't care what your professor says. It's not a political statement. It is a scriptural statement. It is not a democratic or independent or a tea party statement. It is a scriptural statement. God says that I made man and women, and marriage is between the two. But the world wouldn't say that. And when you see them mocking at us and laughing at us what the Bible teaches, when they laugh at the sanctity of life, that life begins at conception. And they look at you and they laugh at that. When we see them mocking and laughing at God's word, that's not a time to be depressed. That's not a time to be worried and downcast. It simply means it's time for the church to look up in expectation. For this is the time that God will work. This is the time that he's raising up a young generation filled with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, much like he did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, much like he did Daniel. There's a new generation arising with the anointing. Oh, come on, if you believe that, clap your hands and praise him. Yes. This is the hour that God will rise up with healing in his wings to show his power and his sovereignty and his love for the church. And I'm seeing it across the country, just like I'm seeing it in this church, a whole section of young people that are here worshiping God. God is raising an on fire generation and the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe someone needs to shout amen to that. Yeah. Many of you are facing giants in your life just like the young shepherd boy, David. David was anointed king, but he goes out to the fields to take care of the earthly father's sheep. He's in training to take care of the heavenly father's sheep as the king. And in that training, he's got to face the lion and the bear to protect the flock. And many of you in your training, you have learned how to fight the lion and the bear. Those are the little things that come into your life. But there's a giant coming. Many of you are facing a giant. In America, we face the giant of political correctness. In America, we're facing the giant of being woke. Somebody asked me the other day, I said, are you woke? They said, are you woke? I think I'm awake. They go, no, no, are you woke? And they started explaining to me what that means. I said, yeah, I'm woke, but not the way you say. They go, well, how are you woke? I said, well, the way I'm woke is, the moment I realized I'm a sinner saved by grace, the moment I realized and I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart as Lord and Savior, the Lord woke me up to my sin, and now I realize I am alive and I'm well because of the grace of God. I was woke in death, but now I'm alive for eternity. I'm gonna live forever in heaven. So yes, I am woke. I'm woke up by the resurrection and the life of Jesus Christ. If you're woke that way, come on, praise him. Yeah. But this giant is trying to cause fear and panic to run in your home, to run in your family. 
Let me tell you, just as God hand-selected Goliath for David to show his power flowing through David's life so that all of Israel could see that God's hand was upon him, so God has hand-selected the giants in the current culture so that when he moves in your life, he's also hand-selected your victory. He's allowed you to live now because he's hand-selected your victory. And when people see you standing in this day and age, when they see you come against a giant and that giant falls, they're going to say, there's something about that person. There's got to be something more in their life. Romans 8, 17 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Well, that means we have a double claim to everything in heaven. It means we have a double claim to every promise in the Bible. We are not just heirs, but we are joint heirs. So in this generation of political correctness and wokeness, the devil will create a train of thought that so fits your way of thinking that you suppose it comes to your own line of reasoning, and it's all to steal your expectation. In other words, Satan will whisper to you, and you think, well, I guess I just thought that. He'll say, you're the only one that thinks that way in your school. You're the only one on your job that thinks a certain way, that acts a certain way. And so let me tell you what I think so that you know you're not alone. And the moment you hear something that you believe, I want you to shout amen. The word amen means so be it. Because you're saying, you know what, you're right, bro. I'm not the only one that thinks that way. I believe what you're saying is true. And you, you, then you, you declare it. You say, Lord, I, I declare that what he is saying is true, and I believe that way. Are you ready? So when I say something you believe, you say amen, and you say I believe that way too. I believe in God's written word. I believe in God's promises. I believe what God says is true. I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, and of Jesus Christ, his only son, who was our Lord and Savior, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended on in, into hell, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead, ascending into heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father. I believe in all 66 books of the Bible. Anybody else? I believe the time is coming when Jesus Christ will return to take his bride back with him. That is when he will judge the living and the dead whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. I believe in the Holy Spirit who is the mirror image of Jesus Christ on planet earth until Jesus comes again. I believe in the Holy Christian Church. I believe in the forgiveness of sin. I believe in the life everlasting. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. If you believe like I do, someone shout amen. I believe in my lifetime I will hear the trumpet sound of God and the dead in Christ shall rise and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air with King Jesus. If you believe like I do, then someone clap your hands and praise him that you are alive and well for such a time as this. Come on, people, church, praise him. Yes. The raw power of expectation. And the reason we proclaim what we believe is because when you proclaim it, it creates a spirit of expectation. Yeah, I believe that. And I'm expecting that to come to pass. The raw power of expectation is seen in Acts, the third chapter, where the Bible says there was a lame man who was brought to the temple, and he's laying there daily. 
This is a very familiar popular scripture that I have heard many preachers preach that the miracles were dependent upon Peter and James saying, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto thee, arise and walk. Now friends, I know there's power in Jesus' name. I know there's healing in Jesus' name. But notice, according to this text, that the power in Jesus' name did not activate itself. Oh, don't miss it. Notice that the miracle for the lame man was dependent upon Acts chapter 3 and verse 5, where it says, So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Did you come expecting? Or has the circumstances of life stole your expectation? Are you expecting? See, you're looking at me, and I'm looking at you, and we're looking at each other, but I don't know if you really are expecting God to do anything, or if you just came to church because, well, I got nothing else to do. This man's attitude was, I don't hope, I don't think, I expect. I expect to receive something from that man of God. See, there's something that the enemy is tormented by. It's recorded in 1 John 3 and 2, where it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. The devil is not concerned with what you used to be. And the devil is not concerned with what you are. No, please understand, what you are has put him or put you on his radar all of hell is on high alert with what you can be in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why tonight I want to invite you back. I'll be teaching on how do I draw out the anointing that is in my life. Each one of you received the personality of the Holy Spirit. That's the anointing. That's salvation. There's a pool or reservoir of power in every Christian. And the same power that invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and raised to life again the three-day dead body of the Lamb of God is alive and well in every Christian, but you have to learn in your life how to draw it out, how to live a life that puts a demand on that. And I've been really thinking about this scripture that says, we have not yet been revealed what we shall be. Listen, the devil is really not concerned about my past. My present now has got his attention, but apparently by the way the devil is attacking our nation, apparently with all the confusion politically, and apparently with all the confusion in the genders, with all the things that are taking place, there must be something that's coming. There's got to be something that hell is worried about. So they're coming against us in fury. There's got to be something just on the horizon. There must be something that has not yet appeared, that God is going to do something so supernatural in an end-time generation, in a church, and he wants to use you, and he wants to use me, that we would rise up under the anointing of God to shake the gates of hell, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. 
And there's a spirit that's rising in a young generation. There are people that are saying there's got to be something more to life than what I'm experiencing. There's got to be a reason why. There's a spirit of expectation. Listen, I travel from California to New York and every state in between, and people all over the nation are saying we're expecting God to do something. God is about to move. There's a level of expectancy that is coming. And God wants to move in our life. Oh, come on, somebody. Shout amen if you believe that. Well, if you believe it, I want to take a little praise break, and I want you to forget the person to the left and to the right of you, and close your eyes, and if you really believe it, I want you to lift your hands and begin to tell the Lord that you're ready to be used in this. I'm expecting it, God. I'm expecting healings. I'm expecting, God, for you to do something. Lord, I'm expecting the rain from heaven to fall on our teenagers. I'm expecting the power of God to rise up in a young generation. Somebody praise the Lord that the storm clouds of revival are gathering over the people's church. Greatest miracles are not behind us. Greatest miracles are ahead of us. Come on, right now, just begin to praise him. Just begin to praise him. Not yet, guys. Just begin to praise him. Every child, every mom, every dad, every teenager, praise him. Eye has not seen nor ear has heard, neither have entered in the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. Just praise him. Just praise him. Allow a spirit of expectancy to rise in your heart. Tell the Lord, I'm not going to allow the things that I see to affect my joy, my peace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Someone might say, well, Randy, my faith is not what it used to be because of all the things I've gone through. To you, I say, friend, we serve a God that is greater than your faith. Some of you might say, well, Randy, my prayer life is not what it used to be because I've seen my family go through such heartache. And, 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 and I really want to believe, but I, well, friend, we serve a God that's greater than your prayer life. Hebrews 6.10 tells us, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Some of you will look at me and say, Randy, because of the things that are happening in life, I think God maybe has forgotten me. Does he really know where I am? Does he really care about my marriage? Friend, for God to forget you, he would have to be unrighteous, and that is impossible. It is impossible for God to forget what he has promised you. And so the only question in remaining, are you expecting him to be faithful to his promise? In fact, I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask them, are you expecting? Some of you husbands might not get the answer you were. <laughs> are you expecting? I told the other services, I said, listen, when I was in my early 20s, <clears throat> Carlene wasn't feeling good. We've been married now uh, 32 years, but back then, you know, we were just kids. And so uh, we went to the doctor and I said, you know, well, let's go. So the doctor comes in, his name was Dr. Tom, and he was the OBGYN. And he had his arms crossed and he got a big old smile on his face and he said, guess what? I said, what? He said, you're expecting. I said, expecting what? <laughs> I don't know. He said, you're expecting a child. For those of you that are my age and older, instantly I thought of, Frank, uh, Sam, uh, of uh, Sanford and son, where he said, oh, Lord. 
Oh, Fred Safford, I'm coming home, Elizabeth. The moment that we found out we were expecting, everything changed. The way we spoke changed. Our vocabulary changed. Life changed. The moment we found out we were expecting, we began to prepare. We came home from the doctor. We had a little apartment in Orange County, California at the time, and we had just launched the ministry, and I had a little office in the, in the closet, <laughs> literally in the closet, and, and we came home, and my wife said, uh, take all that stuff out of that place and go put it on the patio. I said, why? Because we're expecting. And he said, we got to prepare. So we went to, you know, Toys R Us or something like Kids R Us, and we bought uh, those, uh, a little bassinet. Couldn't afford it, but we bought it. I told my wife, haven't even seen the kid yet, and already he's bugging me. <laughs> got pampers. We're expecting, preparing. Got pampers, top of the line. My poor daughter, the number four, she was lucky to get newspaper. Prepare and expect, prepare and expect, prepare and expect. So that, you know, we went back to the OBGYN and he goes, well, now you've got to, you know, now that you've got the nursery, you've got to prepare, so you've got to go to Lamaze. Why? I'm not a, having a kid. Why do I got to go? I was young and stupid. He said, because you're the coach. Oh, all right. So we went to Lamaze. <coughs> stupid. <laughs> Dumbest thing I've ever done. Take the shot. So we go to prepare, right? He, he, hoo, hoo, he, he, hoo. Deep cleansing breath. Oh, he, he. Rubbing vitamin E all over her stomach so she doesn't get stretch marks. Stupid. <coughs> and everything was good until she hit five and a half, six centimeters. Yeah. She hit five and a half, six centimeters. <coughs> Look like the walking dead. <coughs> you did this to me. She said, come here. I said, nuh-uh. I cast out things that sound like that. You'll never touch me again. We got four kids. Come on, man. Right? And so, you know, she said, get me something. So I said, hee-hee. <laughs> it wasn't cutting it. So I ran out in the hallway, Long Beach Memorial Hospital, and I said, help! And here came the anesthesiologist pushing the, you know, and I said, brother, you better put a step in that walk. He goes, oh, you're just a kid. I've seen it a million times. I said, bro, not like this. She got horns coming out of the top of her head. Got a tail and a forked tongue, you know. He sits her up on the bed, you know, and she's, eh, eh. you know what she told me? She said, True story, she said, I wanted to grab your lift and pull it over the top of your head. <laughs> wow. So you know what it feels like. A couple weeks ago, I passed uh, several uh, kidney stones. I now know what it feels like. And she's sitting there. <clears throat> so the doctor found her epidural tract, you know. And he put that, what is it Pitocin? He put that in there, and she started to go numb from the waist down. <clears throat> Then she goes, oh, we're going to have a baby. I said, you're the weirdest woman I know. 
Now, many are sitting there saying, what in the world does it have to do with expectation? When you begin to prepare and expect, how do you prepare and expect a miracle? You begin to fast and pray. You prepare by reading God's word and memorizing scripture. You prepare by coming to the house of the Lord every time the doors are open and gathering with people who are of like mind so that you realize as I'm swimming upstream against a culture with no morals, ethics, or integrity, there is a people who are just like me who are standing for the word of God. You prepare and you expect. You prepare and you expect. You fill your life with the power of God. You surround yourself with people that believe just like you do. Oh, come on now. And then just before the miracle comes, it gets difficult. And the storms of life begin to hit. It's because you're about to birth a blessing. And that, that difficulty comes. And you're expecting at any moment. And you come to the house of the Lord, or you go to a Wednesday night Bible study, or, or you go to a small group, or wherever the family of God is meeting, and the presence of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and he injects you with a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, and suddenly there comes a peace that passes all understanding. I shouldn't be at peace. I'm in the midst of a storm. I'm about to birth a, a miracle. I shouldn't be at peace, but yet I know my God is with me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod shall rest upon me oh come on believe it friend and suddenly you birth a miracle brought to you by the power of the Holy Spirit if you believe that clap your hands and praise it my Lord I'm preaching better than you're shouting Holy Spirit we are coming we're expecting the outpouring of God at any moment I've got to give you this in Mark chapter 10 verse 50 we are told Bartimaeus he had a beggar's garment. Now we read over this and we don't really understand what it means in our Western mentality, but did you know the government issued them a official beggar's garment? It was a certain color. There was really no way to support yourself financially if you were a beggar, so you would go before the magistrate and they would check you out to see if you really were a beggar, to see if you really had a blind, if you were blind or if you were deaf or mute or a leper. And then they would give you a certain color cloak so that the rest of the world would be able to give to you knowing you weren't a thief or a charlatan <clears throat> and that they could support their life that way. And really, back then, if, if, you were, you know, if you were blind or if you had some kind of ailment, it, it was thought because your parents did something in their life, so now there's a curse on your life. And so these people in great need they lived under what the government called a curse. Oh, follow me now. Beggars were defined by the cloak they wore. And so, when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was passing by, he did something amazing. He took off his garment and he threw it away. Bartimaeus threw off his cloak. In other words, he threw off the old way of life. He threw away the comfort zone. He let go of his safety net. He said, I'm sick and tired of the government trying to tell me who I am. Oh, I hope you caught that. I'm sick and tired of being dependent on the government. I'm sick and tired of being dependent on the past, telling me that my life is under a curse because of something that happened in the past. 
So he said, I'm throwing those things away, never to return to being a beggar again. And there are people listening to me right now that you're allowing the government and other people to define who you are. Well, you'll never amount to anything because your parents did this and that. Oh, you'll never amount to anything because you're not educated. Oh, you'll never amount to anything because whatever it is, you fill it in. But the moment you come to Jesus Christ, you, all things pass away and all things become new again. And this man, Bartimaeus, he was saying, it is sink or swim. I'm tired of being defined as a beggar. He doesn't just throw aside a sweater. He throws aside all the mindset of the world. And he says, if I can't see yet. I know I'm not healed yet. But if Jesus is anywhere near me, I'm casting off my dependence on everything else. And I'm holding on to Jesus. He's the one that defines me, not the world. Oh, come on, praise him for it. Praise him. Come on, guys. <laughs> with that being said, if you're a child of God, let me close with this. A spirit of expectation comes into your life when you say, I know what I believe. I started out by reading Luke 3.15. Now, as the people were in expectation, and I ended with reading, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. How does that happen? Listen, friend, Jesus is God the Father's gift to you of eternal life. But the Holy Spirit is Jesus' gift to you to empower you in this life. Don't miss it. And the Holy Spirit wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. What does that really mean? Well, it means that the Spirit of God desires to accomplish several things in your life. First, the Holy Spirit wants to invade you. Don't miss this. The invasion is a military term. When an army comes into a city, they invade every part of that city. How many remember the debacle in Afghanistan when we pulled out? And to see that Taliban coming in, they invaded every nook and cranny of that city. I get emails from our missionaries that tell of Christians that were being drugged out of their homes. That's a picture of invasion. And the Holy Spirit this morning wants to invade you, sir. He knows the little boy in you, even though you're 35, 40, 50, 60 years old. 16. Why, Pastor? Because he created you. Ladies, he knows a little girl in you because the Bible says he knew you before you were even formed and he knit you together in your mother's womb. He wants to invade your life. Second, he wants to envelop you or seal you. In other words, he wants to encase you in his protection. If I was thinking, I would have brought an envelope with a letter when you write somebody the old school way, the snail mail way, you write them a letter and you would put it inside an envelope and that envelope would encase that letter and keep it clean until it got to the place where it was going. And then you would seal that letter and you would put a stamp on it and that stamp purchased the cost to get that letter to the right place. 
The Bible says you were sealed until the day of your redemption. The blood of Jesus purchased your price to pay for salvation. And the Holy Spirit wants to encompass you and bring you to your owner or your destination. And he wants to bring you there without spot or wrinkle. He wants to encompass you. He wants to encase you. Until you get to heaven and God the Father says, as he opens you up and says, welcome, good and faithful servant. I've been waiting for this to get here. The Holy Spirit sent you, but your journey has finally ended. Are you starting to see the picture? He wants to instruct you <coughs> or teach you. John, John said in John 14 and 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. There are times that I don't know how to do certain things and I'll just bow my head and say, Lord, can you show me? Can you teach me? And it's mind blowing how the Holy Spirit, suddenly you go, wow, okay, why didn't I see that before? He wants to instruct you or teach you. The Holy Spirit will impress you. One of the ministry gifts of the Holy Spirit is to bring impressions into our life of what we are supposed to do. You'll be going on in your day <coughs> and a thought will come. Pray for this person. You haven't thought about that person in months. And you'll call them and say, hey, you know, I, I was just thinking about you. Wow, man, I, I really could use that prayer. He'll impress you to witness to somebody. You won't know, you'll just say, well, Lord, I, okay. And if you're obedient, listen, that's one of the keys, if you can't make it tonight, that's one of the keys on how you put a demand on the anointing is your obedience to the voice of God. He'll impress you. Don't go home this way, go home that way. Well, Lord, I, I've been going home this way for years. Well, okay, I'll just be obedient. And you go the other way and you find out that something happened over there that you would have been right smack dab in the middle of it. How many have ever experienced that? Look around, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit will impress you. While speaking in New York, I met a, a, a pastor who said my assistant was in the second tower during 9-11. She said that when the first tower was hit, they got word to evacuate and she was between the 100th and the 90th floor when the word came, all clear, go back. She turned to look and all of her friends and coworkers were going back to their office and she heard something. She thought somebody spoke to her, so she turned to look and there was nobody there. What she heard was, daughter, keep moving, keep going. She said it was an impression and so she said, I kept going down the stairs. I made it across the lobby and out into the courtyard. And she said, I looked over my shoulder in time to see the second plane hitting that tower. And as I began to run, she said, I heard the, something just impressed me. Keep moving, keep going. Now, I don't know if that voice spoke to many others, but I do know she was obedient. He will impress you. Fifth, the Holy Spirit wants to indwell you. 
Bible tells us, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up in everlasting life. In other words, he wants to indwell you, John 4, 14 says. His, <coughs> excuse me, his personality. That's the anointing, wants to indwell you like a fountain and come within you and rest upon you at times of crisis, compromise and opportunity. Oh, don't miss tonight. Don't miss tonight. So the Holy Spirit says, I want to invade you. I want to envelop you, seal you. I want to instruct you. I want to impress you. I want to indwell you. And all you need for you to receive the baptism of fire is not emotions. It's for you to begin to operate in a spirit of expectancy. Lord, because you said it, I believe it, and I'm expecting it. I'm expecting great things, Lord. I'm believing for miracles, Lord. If you're longing for a spirit of expectancy, at the count of three, I want you to stand, lift your hands and say, Lord, as I exalt you, would your presence arise in me? Would a spirit of expectancy replace all of the doubt and fear and worry? In the name of Jesus. If you're longing for it and you're hungry for it, if you're longing for more of him, at the count of three, would you stand and lift your hands and just begin to praise him? One, don't miss it, gang. Two, three, right now, right now, all over the room, all over the room. The Bible says that if you exalt, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. People's church right now, begin to exalt the name of Jesus. Begin to tell them how much you love him. Begin to tell them how much you need him. Somebody begin to pray, Lord, that you would help me reach out to the broken ones in this world. The ones who are confused, the ones who are in doubt. That we would love them through their hurt. That we would love them through their experience, Lord. That, Lord, we wouldn't shun them, but that we would love them. And that confusion would leave their mind, Lord. And in its place would be love, joy, peace, patience, courteous, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. Oh, come on, somebody praise him for it. In the name of Jesus. Somebody say, Lord, right now, I'm expecting my sleepless nights to be gone and over. I'm expecting the peace of God that passes all understanding. The power of expectancy. <laughs> 